Welcome to Top Docs. I'm Mike Merrill. And I'm Ken Jacobson. Today, Ken had the privilege of speaking with Clayton Davis of Variety about the Oscar nominees. Clayton Davis is Variety's Film Awards editor. He covers all the awards, not just the Oscars and not just documentary. He's also one of the hosts of the Variety Awards Circuit podcast and the video web series, The Take. He's been an awards film and TV analyst and critic for more than 15 years, appearing in many different publications and on multimedia platforms, including co-hosting the Oscars pre-show on ABC. Clayton also founded and is president of the Latino Entertainment Journalists Association and is a board and active member of the Critics' Choice Association. So I want to talk about how happy I was that these five films were nominated for featured documentary. I think this is a great group of five. There's nothing in here that's embarrassing. There's nothing in here where I'm like, I really didn't want that one. And let's talk about some of the reasons for that. First of all, I think all of them, in terms of the importance and or the urgency of their subject matter, but also their technical execution, I think all of them are great. What's amazing to me is so many first-time directors, given the high level of craft with all of them. Not that they haven't made other films before, but these are their feature documentary debuts. The following are first-time directors. Summer of Soul with Questlove, Writing with Fire, Rintu Thomas and Shushmit Ghosh, and Ascension, directed by Jessica Kingdon. And also Stanley Nelson's co-director, Tracy A. Curry, is also a first-time feature director. And on the other side, we have Stanley Nelson, Attica, long-time director. Many, many films of great value and note. Yeah, and then sort of in the middle is Flea with Jonas Rasmussen, who has directed a few features before, but he's still, you know, in the beginning to middle stage of his career. The other thing I think is really great is that three out of the five are about subjects outside the United States. Ascension is about Chinese consumerism, and it's directed by Jessica Kingdon, who's a Chinese-American filmmaker. Riding with Fire covers the Indian province of Uttar Pradesh. It's by two Indian filmmakers. And so right there, you have films about countries whose combined population is about eight and a half times the U.S. population. So we're already much more representative, I think, than is sometimes the case. And I also think that that does reflect the increasingly international aspect of the documentary branch, which is something that Clayton mentioned in our interview. And then Flea is by a Danish filmmaker. It addresses the story of an Afghani refugee. And here too, we have some LGBTQ representation. And then the two American films are about the polarities of the Black or African-American experience in the U.S. Attica is a moment largely not exclusively, but largely of Black pain and Black trauma. And Summer of Soul, as Questlove told us on our pod, is about Black joy. So the representation of even within the U.S., I think, is about two sides of the African-American experience, Black experience that uh, sometimes aren't fully addressed. And I would say Summer of Soul kind of covers both poles within it, but certainly it leans in on the aspect of the joyfulness of the gathering and the importance of it as an important historical event that was unfortunately basically buried for so many years. And then finally, I think there's diversity in terms of the types of films these are. Writing with Fire is in many ways, is a traditional observational film with a strong social justice component. 
Attica and Summer Soul are largely archival films with some more recent talking heads, although really a focus on people who actually were at those events. Flea is interesting that it continues and expands upon the use of animation and documentary film. And then finally, Ascension completely eschews, you know, typical narrative, even from a good part of its length, completely decenters human subjects. I don't know, avant-garde's too strong a term for it, but certainly an unconventional documentary form. Yeah, I think Ascension falls pretty squarely within the essay form, which is kind of a subgenre of documentary. Certainly, I think of other great documentary essay films, like the films of Chris Marker, Sans Soleil, and his other works. It's interesting that Clayton used the term the golden age of documentary in describing this year's nominees. And I think that if you had watched no documentaries this year other than these five, this would be an amazing representation of the documentary field and really exemplifies how robust it is creatively. It was great to talk to Clayton, who really knows his stuff in terms of the horse race of the Oscar award season. He brings in lots of knowledge. He's a member of BAFTA as well. So for instance, he mentioned that Summer of Souls has been nominated for a BAFTA award for best editing. It is fun to focus on the horse race that is the Oscars. Part of me regrets that by focusing so much on one winner, ultimately, we're neglecting the literally dozens of amazing documentaries that come out every year. I think one of the things that's great about what we're doing with Top Docs is we are able to focus attention on so many documentaries, whether they're in the running for an Oscar or not. If you enjoyed this conversation, please do follow us. Coming up, Ken's conversation with Clayton Davis, a variety about this year's Academy Award nominees for Best Documentary Feature. Clayton Davis, welcome to Top Docs. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to get into the five Oscar nominees in the Best Feature Documentary category. It's one of my favorite categories, and it's one of my favorite races. We are in a, what I call a golden age of documentaries you know we had that golden age of television in like the mid 2000s the docs are some of the best that we've seen in history i think right now i wanted to get your overall take on the five nominees just as a group what did you think as a group it's funny because i think i nearly got my predictions correct with them which is strange because this year in particular and when you follow the trends of documentary feature there are some things you tend to find and this year the 15 shortlisted all had huge what we call dings against them that go against like history one is like archive type of docs like summer of soul and velvet underground they usually will not like something like that anything that is like new and innovative tends to not be their thing they are sticklers for reenactments which is why Procession and The Rescue were always like in some danger. Add in the fact of, I heard this rumor that we were in the middle of a pandemic that's been going on for two years, depends on who you ask, but they were like all pandemiced out. So then anything that was really heavy, no matter how good it was, like the first wave is a heavy topic. Anything that deals with death, like simple as water. Also, they were looking for some nice, easy watches. And this became a pretty standard-ish category, like uh, in terms of what they typically would go for. 
Yeah, I noticed that too about the first wave and in the same breath, Nan Fu Wong's film as well, which is about the pandemic, which did not make it. I wanted to ask you about your process. Obviously, you spend a good number of months tracking this race, as well as I think all the races. Mm -hmm. And how do you go about creating your different categories of front runners and the other various categories? I I like to think I'm clear about this, but I always want to make just say it just for you know, kicks and everyone has that firm understanding. One is when you make predictions, it's unbiased. You have to take your feelings out of it. Your feelings are irrelevant. There are movies that I love that didn't even make the short list. <laughs> there are movies that I wasn't really big on that did, you know, or, or ended up, it happens all the time. So when it comes to the doc branch in particular, and this is something else that people may or may not know, I'm a huge advocate for documentary features, especially outside of its conventional category. When the Academy first expanded to 10 Best Picture nominees in 2009, which they did in response to The Dark Knight being snubbed in Best Picture. And my pearly white gate thing, when I die, I get to heaven, I'm asking God, was it like, was it number six? I just want to know if it was six. I am waiting for a documentary to be nominated for Best Picture. I'm like, I'm waiting every year. And I really believe I'm a, it's in my lifetime. I'll see it, but I really want to see it. So every year I'm looking at what docs are able to do and how they're able to break out of their traditional categories. And if we ever do get to see a doc, it has to be something that almost transcends its own conventions of documentary filmmaking, which at the beginning of the year, I thought Flea could actually do. And Flea, obviously, is the first film to be nominated animated doc and international feature. But a lot of it is just trying to get into the mindset of a doc branch of 700 documentarians. But one thing that probably is most apparent, proven most by last year, because last year, I believe, and when I say last year, I'm sorry, I'm talking about 2020. We had the most amount of documentaries that ever submitted in Oscar history was 268. I think thought it was the strongest field of documentaries ever submitted for the Oscars. And not that I hate the films, let me be clear about this. I don't hate My Octopus Teacher, but the fact that we ended that run on My Octopus Teacher highlighted something for me. So I think where we sit currently, where we have a branch of about 700 documentarians, working documentarians, inarguably the hardest working filmmakers in the business that work on documentaries for years and decades, it's hard to believe that they're getting to 268 films. Right now, as it stands, an Academy member from any branch can opt in to vote for animated feature and international feature at the nomination stage to determine what the five uh, ultimate nominees will be. They don't have that option right now for documentary features. I think it's time for that to change. There's too many documentaries. There's a lot of great documentaries and we need to broaden the taste of what we consider to be documentaries and what they reward. But to also be clear, once nominations are announced, then the entire Academy votes for winners. So right now it will be open to the entire membership to vote for the winner. What I think would be great to do, hopefully not too painful for you, would be to just mention which films. I think this is the last prediction list that I got from Variety for you. 
Attica, Flea, The Rescue, Simple as Water, and Summer of Soul. That was my final prediction before nominations were announced. Those were the predicted five I thought were going to make it. Of those, Attica, Flea, and Summer of Soul made it to the top five, along with Ascension and Writing with Fire. Let's talk about each of those five. So Summer of Soul, I think, is a good place to start. It is undoubtedly the favorite right now based on its run up until this point. Before the Oscars, are obviously many regional critics awards around the country, United States and globally. I track most of those awards. It's ones that like are, I want to say matter, but like ones that like have credibility, have a lot of critics and have been around a while. There are roughly, I track maybe about 70 or 80 that happened in a year prior to nominations. Not every group awards documentary features, but in the ones that do, Summer of Soul has won 37 Best Documentary Feature Prizes up until this point when I'm talking. What you're saying is Questlove's shelf is overflowing with awards already at this point. Yes. Now listen, it benefits immensely from having the backing of Searchlight Pictures and Hulu, pretty much Disney power. You have a notable name like Questlove, who obviously is a very famous musician with the roots and also has never missed a day of Jimmy Fallon's late night show. It's actually just a little fun, fun fact there. And we're also in the middle of a time where Hollywood is trying to be active in the way that they're looking at diversity in filmmaking is not just what's in front of the camera. It's also what's behind the camera. It's also the stories that we're telling. So Summer of Soul that examines the 1969 Harlem Cultural Festival that was held in Mount Morris Park in Harlem lasted for six weeks. And it's just the greatest festival that no one knew about. Questlove came across this footage of the festival and decided to make a movie out of it. It's one of the greatest debuts by documentary filmmaker in quite some time. And it just so happened that it was Questlove himself that did it. It's also feel good. It's dealing with real issues, but not necessarily in a quote unquote depressing way. So a general person that doesn't really watch a lot of documentaries can watch it and still enjoy it and learn something, but not feel bad once it's over. I like to say that Summer of Soul passed my sister Joyce test which is that she generally doesn't gravitate toward documentaries that much, but this is the kind of film that she absolutely would love. My family calls me a snob, a cine snob. So I always say like if it passes them, then we know we're in good shape. Another factor I think is, and you kind of alluded to this, is Questlove himself. He's a great advocate for the film. He's such an amazing storyteller. He's so personable that when he talks about the film, when he's interviewed about it, you just by osmosis love the film too. And that's always something that helps when you're trying to get a documentary seen by the masses. What, one of the things that people tend to forget or people don't know, a lot of times when a movie gets quote unquote snubbed, and that's a word that gets overused in the Oscar world, a lot of times it's not because they didn't like it. It just wasn't seen by enough people. This year, we had 276 films that were submitted for the Academy Award for Best Picture. I think there were 138 that were submitted for documentary feature only. Obviously, there's overlap. So 
the campaign part of the awards process is just trying to get your film seen by as many people as possible and then to not forget that they liked it and loved it. For our listeners, uh, we did have Questlove on the podcast and he was great. And we had the other four nominees on as well. They were also very engaging and well worth listening to what they had to say about their films. So let's move on. What would you like to take next? Oh, oh my God. I, I don't like having like this power. Uh, let's, <laughs> let's, let's go to Flea. For people who have been under a rock for a year, what's Flea about? Flea is was in my top 10 films of the year. The Danish animated documentary film. So it's representing Denmark for the international feature category. And it's also uh, animated by, by Jonas Rasmussen. And it follows a man named Amin who shares information from his past. Amin and Jonas are friends. When Jonas finds out that he had left his country because he was gay, then he has him tell his story. And it is wonderfully paced. It is touches on so many themes. Obviously, obviously most prominent is LGBTQ representation, but it, it's also so vividly satisfying in, in the way that Jonas decides to tell the story because easily you can like just plop a mean down in front of a camera and just say talk about your story here but he decides to dip into a medium such as animation something that's too often overlooked i say like siloed into like you know animation is for kids and he makes it all about the story and, and it's really just fulfilling and one of my favorite parts 90 minutes <laughs> I always say, if you're 90 minutes, like, I don't care if you're getting like two and a half stars out of me. Like, it, it, it's a good place to be. As opposed to two hours. Anything more than two hours. I'm getting a sense that it's really the craft and the artistry of Flea that really appeals to you. And also just that it's not easily categorizable. Listen, the last time we got an animated documentary such as this, that was prominent and actually in the race was Waltz with Bashir. That ended up being DQ'd from documentary feature that year. And it ended up only getting nominated in, I think it got nominated in animated feature and not in international. It, it just shows that the Academy, because they diversified so much of their membership over the last few years, and they are open to new storytellers and the way we tell stories especially from the international block that has been added to the ranks. I think that was the largest branch increase was documentary feature internationally. So they are really, in a lot of ways, holding the cards in a lot of races. That's how we're seeing this big boom in international features at the Oscars, especially this year. We saw Drive My Car is nominated for Best Picture, also, along with international feature, director, and adapted screenplay, worst person in the world, nominated international feature, and best original screenplay. So this is happening more and more often. What about Attica, which is uh, not an international film? Back not, to the U.S. with that one. Not, not, it dives into the 1971 uprising from Attica. It talks about a violence and racism of the prison system and highlights just all the reforms and everything that's still needed even 50 years later, why I loved it so much, two reasons. One is Stanley Nelson, kind of one of the godfathers in documentary filmmaking. If anyone's not seen Freedom Riders, he won an Emmy for that. 
a little more than a decade ago. He did Miles Davis' Birth of Cool. Uh, it was a film back in 2019. That was awesome. And he did the Black Panthers, Vanguard of the Revolution. And he's one that like everyone respects. Like, I also put him in the same um, bucket as Sam Pollard. One of those that just everyone knows and loves. And he finally got his moment. So that was just me being happy for Stanley Nelson. Also, it reminded me of what I felt when Ava DuVernay did 13th. You know, something like criminal justice reform in the prison system has been done a lot of times, like time and time again. But the way it's presented here feels fresh, personal, emotional, and still able to learn and give a clear call to action that a lot of films tend to miss when they just see kind of like a subject as broad as this, but he's very singular in that aspect, uh, along with his co-director, Tracy Curry. I couldn't agree with you more about the two of them giving this a fresh look. I thought I knew a fair amount about Attica until I saw this film and I realized how much I didn't know, how much information basically had been kept hidden for decades. And then just the lens that he and Tracy put on the story and the context that they put it in, just really well done. It's on Showtime for anyone that it's streaming there. You can just go watch it. So please give it a shot. This is Stanley's first nomination. He's been shortlisted before, but never nominated. What would you like to take next? I was saying about like Summer Soul being the front runner and Flea being in three different categories. I've had this feeling for a while that Attica is that quiet dark horse spoiler in the end to win everything. I think it's going to really catch on. I, I'd watch out for that. I would note that you've been tracking Attica and been right about it since the beginning of this <laughs> whole awards season. So you've really yeah. had your finger on the pulse with that one. It's one of those that I have to start asking myself, is because I really want it? To, or is, is this really what I'm feeling? So thank God it was one of the rarities that it tends to be both. So we've done three. That leaves Ascension and Writing with Fire, our cool. two maybe dark horses here. Ascension, with the backing of MTV documentary films, taking a look at China and the people that live there and people that are trying to achieve whatever they can. We call it the American dream. They're trying to achieve the Chinese dream. What's interesting about this, and being in the last couple of years, we mentioned Nanfu Wang before she had in the same breath, but she also did a film, One Child Nation, that I loved that didn't get nominated that year. And then last year, looking at 76 Days, which is also distributed by MTV Documentary Films. We're seeing this rise in Chinese stories. I mean, Asian cinema is having a boom right now, period. We saw it with The Farewell from Lulu Wang that obviously translated then to Parasite winning Best Picture. You know, that's bled over to television with Squid Game. Now we see Drive My Car nominated in Best Picture. I think we're going to keep seeing this rise. And from Jessica Kingdon, this film, I would say, is one of the, I won't say less broad, but won't hit the masses the same way as every other film that's nominated in the lineup. MTV did a very good campaign. They were like really at the forefront with it. And it has a really rich take and story in the way Jessica decides to tell it. But it's just one of those films that just doesn't, again, like translate to the masses. A lot of it ends up being just subtitles. I'm going to talk crap about Americans. We can't get over the one inch text at the bottom of our screen sometimes. So I think 
based on that, but then even looking outside, it's, it's hard to find the, I found the common ground between everything that's there, but I feel like a lot of stories like these are just some hot button topics right now. I think stylistically, maybe this one is perhaps a bit challenging. It's mm. more of an essay type film rather than an observational or story driven film. Another thing to note is that she shot it and it, it is beautifully shot, I think. So interesting is Jessica's Chinese American. She brings an American aesthetic to it in some ways or perspective to it, but she also, I think, really immersed herself in the Chinese culture. Absolutely. Oh, and also 97 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to praise everything that's 90 minutes. Like That's it, 97 minutes. I always feel like it's always good to take a 50-50 shot on two types of films. Ones that are 90 minutes and the others that are 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> like, you can fall either way. I want more divisive than something that's, like, uniformly hated or loved. I don't think Writing with Fire is very divisive. It's really a delightful film from first-time directors Rintu Thomas and Shushmit Ghosh. It tracks these women journalists who run India's only newspaper run by Dalit women. It's really an inspiring film. I have a general rule sometimes. When the Oscar shortlist comes out, when they reveal like what the 15 films that are still in the running are, there's always like one or two that stand out. And you're like, I've never heard of this movie. Where'd you come from? And that movie, more times than not, makes the final cut, the five. That this year was Riding With Fire. No one had really heard of it. It's the most grassroots campaign of almost of any Oscar nominee this year. Music box films, who have done a lot of uh, movies in the past. You know, but again, you're competing with the Netflixes, the National Geographics, the Apple Original Films. And Riding With Fire leapfrogged the rescue from academy award winner jimmy chin leapfrogged velvet underground about a band that is huge internationally that speaks to the pleasantry of writing with fire like you i was like it's one of those just like delightful movies and i think those movies are dangerous sometimes because again, like my octopus teacher last year, you don't hate it. No one hates it, but it's just, it's just a really good, straightforward story that does its thing. I, I was really impressed with it. A really strong group of five. Before we get your prediction for the winner and maybe an upset prediction, I did want to hear if there were any surprise omissions for you where you were like, wow, I really thought that was going to make it. Not this year. This was the most wide open category of any of the 23 categories this year. So nothing surprised me. So let, let me give you the lay of the land that Doc Feature tends to do. And this is why I'm always nervous, especially when predicting them. They live to snub the front runner. They like live for it. It's like their favorite thing to do. Three identical strangers, Apollo 11, Jane, Won't You Be My Neighbor? all missed Oscar nominations in the end. They were all quote unquote supposed to win. And then they didn't. Something like even like stories we tell Sarah Polly's movie from back in the day. I, I was surprised that it, that it didn't feel as bonkers as it typically does. You know, speaking of surprises, you mentioned Disney power a minute ago when it came to Summer of Soul. Where would you put the influence of the big streamers and the major distributors in this process, both in the nominees and in the 
choosing the winner. You also mentioned Music Box Films, which really in the economic stratosphere of the film industry is very tiny. And yet they have one of the five films here. But what about the influence of the Netflixes and the Amazons, which had zero nominees in this category, as well as some other well-known distributors and streamers? Nat yeah. Geo got nothing, for instance. There's a few thoughts there. Again, you are campaigning for a particular group, right? 700 or so Doc Branch members. And at the end of the day, one thing that I still stand by... and. I know the Oscars have had some humdingers of winners in history. They've also had some of the most terrible omissions in history as well. But I think at the end of the day, it's still about the movies. So you can throw all the money you want at something. Doesn't mean that they're going to jump for it. Now, large groups yield consensus. There are 9,400 Academy members, right? You have a group that large you're not going to get like really obscure choices in the mix. It just doesn't happen. But this year, the streamers, they did struggle. But Netflix, I guess their quote unquote pony was Procession. And I don't even think that was the best doc that they had on their roster. The one that made my personal five, I'm also a BAFTA voter and Critics' Choice member. My favorite of theirs was Pray Away. I thought Pray Away was actually really well done. And that never really had a shot. You look at something as simple as Water from HBO, that was late to the scene and then struggled to kind of find its footing. And then you look at something like Amazon, they had, my name was Paulie Murray and they had Val. And I love Val, like a lot, but they couldn't quote unquote rally the troops. Even something like Discovery Plus that's like new to the game. They had Francesco and introducing Soma Blair. Rebel Hearts. Rebel Hearts as well. They're really trying to find their place in this spot of awards campaigning that ends up just getting very loud. So I think now is the time, drum roll please, to have you handicap the race. Is Summer of Soul the clear favorite? Can it be stopped? What about Flea or Attica? Or are two dark horses riding with fire and ascension? We need to be clear about this. This is not Clayton Davis's final predictions. It is just a week after Oscar nominations were announced. I don't want anyone to think like this can't change because it's going to change all the time. Obviously, there's some pros and cons for everyone. That's why you have to break this down. Again, right now, today, the way I'm feeling, I really don't feel like riding with fire and ascension have the the gas to get them over the finish line. I think them getting in is probably their reward. Again, that's just my thought today. When you look at Summer of Soul, it's won the most critics awards. That means something. But critics don't vote for the Oscars. That means something more. But I pay attention to one group, and that's the BAFTA Awards, where Summer of Soul was nominated in Best Film Editing. A legit surprise and a welcome surprise, because if anyone remembers, Hoop Dreams was nominated in Best Film Editing because it was not nominated in Documentary Feature. So when docs break out of their traditional categories, that isn't also original song or international feature. It tends to mean something. That indicates support in another branch elsewhere. So Summer Soul may have the slight edge, but Flea is nominated in three separate categories. And it's been interesting this whole time. I felt like the biggest hump or the hardest category for Flea to get in would be 
documentary feature. But once it got in, the easiest category for it to win would be documentary feature. Because again, now it's open to the masses. It's not going to take animated feature over Encanto or Mitchell's versus Machines. There's a shot for international, but drive my car and worst person in the world are there. This becomes a spot you can do that. Getting inside the head of the typical, and there is no typical Academy member, but <laughs> if I'm a voting member of the Academy and I'm looking at Flea and I'm doing kind of what you did, which is I'm not going to vote for it for all three categories. I'm probably going to pick one. And so what you're saying is if they're going to pick one for Flea, it's going to be documentary. That's its best shot at, at standing on a stage. In a way, it's got an advantage because it's already on the ballot for two other categories. So those people will already be thinking about it. May throw love that way. And yeah. listen, at the same time, it also could split its votes because if everyone doesn't agree on which one that is, then it doesn't matter. Because the second most likely is probably international feature. But again, you have Drive My Car and Worst Person in the World. By the way, Worst Person in the World, it's the same distributor, Neon. So I think they just have to curate their campaign to say, go reward flee in documentary feature. And I think they'll do that. So I, I, right now, today, I am, again, back to my Attica thing. Attica seems like a clear, I, I call it up the middle winner. When there are two top contenders and a past category you can look at for this, I say best actor 2002 when Adrian Brody won best actor. He won with no other precursor that season. And it was a clear two horse race between Daniel Day-Lewis for Gangs in New York and Jack Nicholson for About Schmidt. And in the end, he came up the middle, he won. So I think that could be a, a potential outcome. But today I'm going to say that Flea does it. So as of February 11th, 2022, your prediction is Flea. Yeah. Interesting. And I can hear the chatter on Twitter even mm -hmm. as we speak. We didn't have time to get into shorts today, but what are your thoughts on the state of the Oscar nominated shorts these days? My take on the shorts is pretty simple. It really has to throw the ball into the Academy's court here. I believe that the shorts are incredibly important. It's where we see the birth of a filmmaker. We see the birth of, of an artist. If we're not going to take a, a more active approach in promoting these films that right now are just the bathroom breaks during the telecast or they're what make or break your Oscar pool because no one has seen them. They don't screen widely. It's, it's a problem. If we don't do a good job of making those available, I think we should just remove it from the telecast. I don't want that to be the option, but it's very frustrating to not have them widely available and not have the general public care about them. I want to see a change there because there are some actively great shorts that are nominated. I, I love Audible. I love Queen of Basketball, which by the way, is executive produced by Shaquille O'Neal. It was done by Ben Proudfoot, who lost surprisingly last year with Chris Bowers. So I am all for a good overhaul of let's get these films seen by the masses. It's interesting that Queen of Basketball and three Netflix shorts are four out of the five. And those are very accessible and easy to watch if you have Netflix. And basically the other film is the New York Times Opdoc. So that's readily available pretty much to everyone. Queen yeah. of Basketball. The only one I haven't seen, I haven't seen When, when We Were Bullies yet, but I'm going to get to that 
before Oscar night. I watch every movie that's nominated at the Oscars before Oscar night. And usually it's uh, the ones I need to catch up with typically are the shorts. One last question, which is what was your favorite documentary feature viewing experience this year? I feel so basic, but it's Flea because it was my top 10 films of the year. I think I saw one, one film, one doc film on the big screen this year. I, I try to see them on the big screen every year. But yeah, Flea was great. And I have a very big soft spot for Who We Are, A Chronicle of Racism in America. Sony Pictures Classics film for a long time was my favorite doc of the year. And I thought it was going to actually like be my personal winner. But there's just so many that did a lot of good things. But I, I loved Flea. And the first wave gave me a good cry. I think I needed because, <laughs> you know, we're all a little sensitive right now. You and me both. Yeah. And who We Are is a good tip. You made a good point for our filmmakers out there that your film doesn't have to be with a major distributor or streamer to end uh, as one of the five Oscar nominees necessarily. There is hope. Absolutely. Docs are so important. And I can't wait for the day that just a doc is nominated for Best Picture, Director, like just goes all over the place because they're one of the most vital parts of storytelling. And it's so undervalued in a way that gets me a little mad sometimes even when they're like not exceptionally spectacular there's still this gift that that provides of knowledge and information the sparks brothers by edgar wright this year got me totally ready for annette the movie annette with adam driver because i didn't know who sparks were prior to seeing it because i saw the sparks brothers documentary i enjoyed the hell out of annette with adam driver so everything is like connected. Great circle of life. Clayton, you're probably the only person I could think of, at least, who could make the connection between Adrian Brody and this year's Oscar nominee <laughs> and a potential winner. So hats off to you for your knowledge. Yeah, no problem. I'm, I'm always good for useless information. Thank you so much, Clayton. I really enjoy reading you in Variety and loved having you today. Thanks so much. Take care.